It's the DEH Podcast, episode 104. I'm Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. So I understand you've been kind of busy. Yeah. So yeah, it's been exciting uh, two days. Obviously, the big story is something we talked about, actually, I think it was two weeks ago, uh, as a precursor to this, you know, that Apple has announced that they are going to be moving Macs to a whole new uh, processor architecture, um, among other things. I mean, they announced all their new iOS 14 and iPad OS 14 and right. uh, and also Mac OS Big Sur, which is actually 11. The a Mac OS 11, all the way up to 11 now. Wow. So, uh, which is great because I'm sick of people actually saying OS 10 Catalina. I'm like, it's not, that's, it's Mac OS Catalina. So now when they say OS 10 Big Sur, I can say, no, it's actually <laughs> OS 10 in no way whatsoever. But uh, yeah, 11.0, which makes sense because it will be the first uh, operating system that will support ARM a Max. Right. Uh, of course, it'll also support Intel. And that's what the real big news was, was the uh, change in architecture to ARM. They never used the word ARM once, by the way. Oh, really? Um, what do they probably, call it? Probably, uh, they, they kept saying Apple Silicon. And my feeling was they didn't know what to call it and ran out of time. See, ARM <laughs> is a trademark of, oh. of the ARM Corporation, right? So they, they, I assume, have a license, probably a perpetual license for that architecture because the chips, like the A12, for instance, and all that, they're all Apple-made. So, right. it's, so I, I, I don't know the legalities, but I assume Apple has a license for the basics of ARM, and then they make their own chips. So they don't rely on this c- company that owns the trademark ARM and you know, and gets money from Apple and other companies, as I assume as well, uh, for licensing ARM. But uh, but they didn't want to use the name. Probably it could be strategic. Could be they just maybe they didn't pay for it. <laughs> no part of the license was you get to use the name. It seems um, unlikely that they wouldn't have paid. For, you know, uh, I mean they, they've they certainly have enough cash lying around that they could afford to buy the well, license to say ARM. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. I suspect, but never... I, I suspect it's much more of a um, a positioning thing where there are going to be other ARM chips, right, that aren't Apple. Yeah. And right. I'm absolutely convinced Apple wants no part of that, right? They want to make sure that they are clear from the start um, that this is Apple hardware. And because it's a heavily scalable type of architecture, they don't want somebody saying, hey, this tiny little gizmo I got that does almost nothing has an ARM processor <laughs> in it, you know, because True. it has like a single core, little, simple, you know, 95 cent ARM processor. Right. So maybe they want to distance themselves from that. Also, it does seem, because I remember, I, I, I'm sure that on tech spec pages for compute Apple, like iPhones and stuff, it used to say things like, you know, whatever generation ARM processor, but A-R-M capital letters, right. not the current capital A, lowercase r, lowercase m, not an acronym for anything, word. So anyway, that's all besides the point because that doesn't really matter. Um, they are going to be moving and we have answers to some of the questions that we posed two or three weeks ago mm-hmm. about what's what that entails so strangely enough you know i talked about how like i don't think it's going to be anything like the power pc to intel uh thing where they had universal apps and used rosetta and not only is it going to be like that but they're using the names universal and rosetta again really (laughs) and rosetta too so uh, yeah so they're literally not they're not even trying to erase that they're trying to call that back as like nostalgia remember rosetta we, we're going to have that for a few more years. So, yeah, so this is Universal 2 and Rosetta 2 are what they're calling the two different ways to get old apps running on the new architecture. Universal 2 is simply just recompiling your app into a universal binary. So it would be a binary that would run on an Intel Mac as well as on an ARM Mac, for lack of a better term. I don't know what to call them. I'll just call them ARM Macs. The, the, my understanding of that, though, is that it's basically a double-sized binary in the sense that it actually yeah. includes two, bi- two separate executables, so one for, each pla- one for each architecture. Perhaps. Perhaps. There, there were some deals with the universal apps towards the later days of those after the uh, PowerPC to Intel transition where they stripped out. Like if you would download an app and you were running Intel, 
it would strip out the unused PowerPC code. And so the idea being, you don't need this, so you're only getting half of it. So I don't know if they're going to jump right to that. And if you go to the Mac App Store with an ARM Mac and you say, download that app, it's going to say, oh, I've got th- this app as a bundle, and there's a bunch of stuff I'm not even going to bother giving you because you don't need it. That actually does I, I make a fair amount of sense, yeah. Yeah, so... so what, one of know, my thoughts was if they're going to, you know, I mean, like you said, they're doing it exactly the same way they did the power to PC transition. What I'm yeah. hoping is that whatever lessons needed to be learned from that transition, they will have learned. I mean, what were, well, the, bumpy, what were the bumpy parts of that road? Well, they, there does seem to be a, a difference that was pointed out, which I think could be key. And I mentioned before, I thought Apple was going to do something different. So during the original Rosetta thing, they had, it was basically an emulator, right? So you tried to run a PowerPC app on your Intel Mac, and uh, the app would run on top of the Rosetta emulator. The emulator would tell the app, yeah, I'm a PowerPC, don't worry about it. And the emulator would translate all the calls to the processor to Intel calls, call out to the Intel uh, machine, and then it would um, or you know, translate everything. So the idea here is instead of doing it on the fly, that it would do it at install time. So it's kind of clever translate the code when installing. Hmm. So you're actually converting it at a binary level to a ARM app. Now, this isn't going to be as near optimized as it would be if the developer actually created an ARM app. But the idea is that emulation doesn't have to take place over and over again. In other words, if you're, you know, the app's doing the same thing over and over again, which apps typically do, that's what makes them apps. <laughs> if they, you know, does they could do repetitive tasks for us. So it could just be redrawing the same window or whatever it's doing. Instead of emulating it every time, it's converted during the install. So the emulation doesn't have to happen more than that, you know, that initial conversion. How well it's going to work? Well, I mean, they did demo. I don't know if you watched it, but they demoed, uh, was it Maya? I think it was Maya 3D modeling app. And and they demoed Tomb Raider, um, both running, they said, as installed. Like they said, Tomb Raider was installed directly from the Mac App Store. No, nothing changed. Right. And it they showed Laura Croft running around, 3D textures, particle effects, everything. You know, no lag, nothing like that. Um, so, so they demonstrated it. Uh, so they, it, that could be the difference here is that initial, that conversion. Um, like I kind of like, I was trying to explain it to somebody who didn't, uh, you know, d- I knew wasn't like a computer person like us, right. like you know, did not a program. And it's like, well, an Intel chip is tons of instructions. So there may be an instruction like in real life, wash your hands. There's a wash your hand instruction in Intel. Uh, ARM is a reduced instruction set, you know, computer. So it may not have a wash your hands instruction, but it has a turn faucet on, put hands under faucet, put soap on hands, you know, rub hands together. And you can then say, oh, you need to wash your hands. I'm going to translate that into these smaller instructions. Right. But by doing it with Rosetta 2, it's seeing, oh, it needs to wash your hands. So let me do the translation now. Put those, that little set of instructions in place of it. And now every time it's needed, instead of me having to reinterpret what's going on, it just automatically goes and does those steps. Right. So hopefully that means things are faster. And, you know, of course, Apple, of course, Apple said it's super fast. It's amazing. Here's a demo of this. I mean, they did the same thing back in you know, Rosetta 1 with the PowerPC stuff. Um, and to some extent, it works simply because the new processors are more powerful. You know, right. that was the trick with the PowerPC to Intel was, oh, they stuck powerful Intel chips in there so they could emulate the PowerPC stuff um, at good speed. And this seems like it's the same trick here is, you know, they're going to put a really, you know, ton of cores in these ARM processors uh, on these. Uh, right. Your, your, emulated, and- your emulated software will run about the same as it did on the older, slower Intel yeah. machines. Whereas exactly. the stuff that's written specifically for the new architecture will be blazingly fast, presumably. Yes. So that's, so, you know, so, and also for developers, you know, it's going to be easier because of a kind of a trick Apple did, not a trick. I mean, they wanted to get rid of the 32-bit apps and they did. So Catalina, you know, you can't run 32-bit apps. Well, 
the 64-bit apps really only started coming in around 2016. If you've got an app older than 2016, it's probably a 32-bit app. 2016 and newer, it's probably a 64-bit app. And by having Catalina be this kind of wall that kept the 32-bit apps out, we don't have people with Catalina now walking around running like a 2002 you know, executable, right. you know, some old game or something like that, you know, unlike on, you know, Windows where people are, there's people probably running apps that go back to the nineties absolutely, uh, for various reasons. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, so Apple's got this thing. It's like, okay, so all those developers that have moved on from developing apps and abandoned their apps in 2008 and 2011 and all that, we don't have to worry about them. All the, it's all the, the apps that were at least updated at some point from 2016 on. They're the only ones, and most of those, you know, really high percentage, are actively being developed. There's new versions coming out anyway. You know, whether this was going to happen or not, there was going to be a point, a dot something release or a whole new version of whatever app it is you use by the end of this year or next year. By having, you know, Xcode produce universal apps, it, the developers are basically going to be like, oh, yeah, so our, you know, we're, we're planning on coming out with a new version in September. I guess that's going to be a universal app, you know, because we'll be using the latest Xcode and we'll have one of these test machines that Apple's uh, giving to developers. And it'll, you know, it'll go with the rest of our, like, we have to test this new version out kind of thing. Right. You know, there's just another thing thrown on top. So that'll make it a lot smoother than the PowerPC, um, uh, you know, transform, uh, trans, trans, Formation <laughs> too. Transition. Now the other aspect, transition. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> the uh, the other aspect is emulation of Windows. So Apple said something really interesting. They said uh, virtual machines. Hey, yeah, there's going to be great virtual machines, Linux, and they didn't say anything about <laughs> Windows. Yeah. They they almost mentioned Linux. So they could not mention Windows. That was like the to me the key saying you know instead of saying oh we're not going to support boot camp anymore, uh, you know they they threw in the Linux thing. So obviously boot camp that whole idea of just being able to reboot your Mac and the hardware just pretends it's a PC uh, that can't work on an ARM processor. Right. Uh, but that may not be the end of the story there because Parallels and VMware you know the two leading Right. companies that do virtualization stuff, they might still be able to do it. Because think about it, Rosetta 2 is something Apple developed that's converting right. Intel stuff to ARM stuff. So what's to stop Parallels and VMware from doing the same thing or even working with Rosetta 2 somehow right. and using part of that? Yeah, emulation is... True is, emulation. Emulation is certainly possible. Uh, the real question will come down to what's the performance impact? What is it going to run right. like? Um, and we have to throw in a uh, virtual box as well, because that's, yes. I don't, I don't know how it compares in terms of installed base, but um, it is huge. Uh, the only problem there, of course, is that it's open source and kind of it's owned by Oracle, but it's open source and free. Yeah. And, and I suspect that it'll be parallels and VMware that'll make the inroads. But, uh, right, exactly. Because they have money uh, yeah, to make on it. it. It really does boil down to, okay, fine, what can we do to make this accept, perform acceptably? Um, Windows itself is incredibly complex. Mm -hmm. And when you run that through an emulator, uh, you know, the, the complexity becomes an order of magnitude uh, more. So, right. so, yeah, I could see them doing that. I'm sure there's a market for it if they can pull it off. Now, I argue that it's not really needed because, first of all, <laughs> the vast majority of Mac users, well, the vast majority of Mac users just don't use, you know, aren't, aren't interested in emulating Windows on their Macs. Um, out of the people that are left, I think a large chunk of them, me included, um, are using Windows for something professional, you know, capital P professional. In other words, part of our work, part of our making a living or whatever it is, uh, is based on that. And so spending some money there makes sense. You're already spending money to buy Windows, for instance, and to maybe buy VMware or Parallels right. as well. You know, annual licenses, kind of annual license, annual updates to those. Um, so before Bootcamp and uh, Parallels, 
I simply had a PC. Uh, PCs were inexpensive then, and they're inexpensive now, especially for a lot of the uses that people have for them as secondary machines. Like if I, I was using them because I wanted to see how my websites looked on the Internet Explorer. I didn't need a fast one. I didn't even want a fast one. I wanted something that was consumer level so I could see what consumers were seeing. Right. So the idea of buying a $500 PC and you know using that whenever I needed to do testing made sense. And I think the same is true for a lot of people that use bootcamp and parallels. Not everybody. There's certainly people that need something high end. Sure. But sure. But I it's sus- another slice out of the out of the user base, right? I suspect that um, the biggest market for uh, emulating Windows on a Mac is probably some variation of corporate, where they have uh, corporate applications that are Windows specific, but their entire art department runs Macs, and they don't want to have another desktop or another piece of right. hardware at their desk or whatever. You know, they want it for the convenience of just being able to flip over to a different window and have everything still work. Um, it'll be, right. inter- it will be really interesting. I, I suspect there will be a lag. I think it'll take some time. And I think that that lag, the, the reaction or the, the, the market reaction during that lag of an acceptable windows hosting on Mac becoming available uh, will tell us a lot about just how important it really is or isn't. Uh, I could certainly see Good Apple point. just saying, no, no, it, you know, just forcing the issue and making everybody buy hardware. Um, right. No, which, that's you know, a good It good would point. not be the end of the world, to be honest. I mean, uh, you know, everybody, everybody's going to grump about something anyway, but they, were, oh, you know, sure. they, would, they would grump about it and then they'd go out and get a Dell, <laughs> right? Or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Now the now the flip side of this, of course, is since instead of an Intel processor in there, it's an ARM chip, the same chips used in iPads and iPhones, is that the new Macs will be able to run iPhone and iPad apps. Which I thought was and, fascinating, yes. Yes. Well, and it makes sense and uh, that it could do that. And Apple even showed it off, you know, uh, you know, making it seem like, look, we didn't even have to work on this. They just they just run, you know, so they would run in windows and they wouldn't have menus because, you know, those things don't have menus. And, you know, they were careful to say, you know, most or almost all or that kind of thing, because there's certain apps that you need multi-touch for, you know, they're just not going to uh, translate uh, to uh, having a single point uh, in a cursor. I was going to say, they, they never add, talk about adding a touch screen to these things yet either. Do no, they, they no, no. <laughs> So, you know, there's, so they have to say almost all or whatever. And another, of course, another issue is that there's a lot of apps uh, don't even work really on the iPad unless you have like cellular, like they're literally, you know, all about connecting to mobile, you know, connections. So like getting an app that's like that on your Mac, you know, like an app, for instance, that gives you a tour of a museum as you walk around, it tells you where you are and what exhibit you're looking at. Is it going to be very useful on your iMac? <laughs> you know, right. Dragging it around, plugging it in <laughs> the museum, booting it up. Where am I now? Um, so, you know, it's not, not every app is going to be useful for that. But there are some, you know, productivity type apps and things like that that may be useful. And social media apps, too, that could be useful. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking Instagram, of course. And... Also, games. There are tons of games that are very simple, like the games I make, that are simple puzzle games that really just need you to touch one spot to make your move and to you know choose your card or whatever it is. And having a ton of those suddenly uh, be available for Mac is interesting. And also, some of the stuff you mentioned earlier with you know, you have a, a corporate environment where you have a bunch of uh, artists, as, as you put it, with mm-hmm. the, on the Macs, right? So it was the artists causing the trouble wanting their Macs, you know, or the serious business well, people on the other side. That, you know, there's, you there's know. truth to some stereotypes. Come on. <laughs> there, is, there is some truth to it. So, you know, but the idea is if whatever kind of corporate communication, human resources thing, whatever, they may already have an iPhone app. You know, they may never have developed a Mac app. Yes, yes. They may have a Windows app and an Android app and an iPhone app. And now you could, you know, do it with the uh, iPhone app. And to, to be fair, it's not just, you know, corporate arts people. <laughs> I have stumbled <laughs> into multiple applications that I think, oh, that's kind of interesting. Oh, it's, it's iPhone only. Or, oh, it's mobile only. 
And, and for me, that's kind of a deal breaker in many cases because I want it on a real computer with a real keyboard. And, and, and clearly Apple is just opening the floodgates there to, okay, all you need to develop is, a, is a, 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 you know, an iPhone app and boom, you're done. Right. And hopefully, you know, they've already uh, have a lot of things in Xcode. It, it, it's important to point out that Xcode, the development environment, is what's used for developing both iOS apps and Mac apps. Right. Um, and a lot of the things that you do in Xcode applies to both. I mean, obviously, there are touchscreen things that apply to, you know, the, um, you know, the iOS devices. And there's things like menu bars and uh, hardware stuff that applies to Macs. But for a lot of apps, you know, the Venn diagram is right. you know, mostly shaded in in the middle. Right. Um, so, you know, somebody developing an, an iOS app, uh, it's getting easier to make it cross-platform and eventually it gets to the point where they could say oh what the heck i'll spend a couple hours and <clears throat> specify what the menu bar should look like and then i'm done you know then all of a sudden it's now a native mac app because that's all right. i needed really to do right so uh so we'll see how that that goes uh the timeline for this stuff is apple well right now apple's putting out a mac mini for developers only um and it's got the current ipads uh you know, uh, like A12Z processor right. in it, right. uh, which I think I think it's you know the the iPad's got a lot more graphics demand than the iPhones simply because of number of pixels. Uh, you know, sure. the, the iPad Pro, the big one, is a ton of you know pixels. It's high definition and all that, so it needs kind of like a it, you know for a while now it's needed the graphics capability of a desktop, whereas the iPhone, I mean there's no point putting any more pixels in it. The pixels are already the smallest pixels there are, I think, on any device. Right. Uh, so it doesn't need quite, you know, I think it's got an a A12 something and the A12Z is on the iPad or whatever. So this Mac Mini is going to have an A12Z in it and that'll be for developers. At the end of the year, they promise some Mac will be out for consumers. We have no idea what that is. There's, there's people that think, well, new iMacs are supposed to be coming and they're supposed to look a lot different. Maybe that'll be the new IMAX. Other people say, no, obviously, a, like a special edition 13-inch MacBook Pro is the way to go. Right. Or a new MacBook, like to replace the MacBook they discontinued a couple of years ago. Or just a, a Mac Mini. Take this Mac Mini they already have for developers, put a new processor in it, and make that first. We don't know. We have no idea what this first consumer Mac would be. But we can be certain that there will be other Intel Macs this year, because they said right. that too. Um, and that probably next year there will be no new Intel Macs. Like, it'll all be done this year. There'll be new Intel, I'm thinking iMacs, this year. The MacBook Pros are pretty new. And, um, you know, Mac Pro's new. Mac Mini, I don't see them, like, refreshing or anything like that for with a new Intel. So probably whatever they, they finish with this year, that'll be the last new Intel Macs. They'll still sell them. Like that'll be those will be the current models they'll be selling it in 2021. Right. But they'll slowly in 2021 and 2022 replace each one, each iMac and each MacBook Pro and Mac Mini and all that with an ARM equivalent. So, and at the end of 2022, they won't be selling them any uh, Intel Macs anymore. One question that I've seen raised is, yes, what about the Mac Pro? Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. What about uh, I the mean, Macs in data centers? You know that kind of stuff. Well, <clears throat> well, like continuing support for the current ones. Are they? Uh, are those all? I mean, are they going to swap those all out now for for ARM-based processors now or not? Or or is that something yeah. where they might continue to produce the super high-end server-type machines? Which I know it's not a big part of their market, but they still do them. Um, if if that's going to continue in this vein, or if they're just going to uh, uh, to switch those eventually as well, I think. I mean, the Mac Pro is the one that is the odd one that sticks out, right? Because the Mac Pro's got not like the regular Intel processors; it has a Xeon processor in it, lots of cores. Right. It's got a powerful GPU card in it, right? Um, so, what do you do? You know, you replace those with an ARM chip. Uh, I mean, I suppose that they. They could surprise us and say, hey, uh, the new one's got ARM chips in it, and chips plural. Right, right, <laughs> like, right, right. There's right. going to yeah. be four ARM chips in it, right? You sure. know, it's it, each with 16 cores, you know. Sure. They could do that. Um, I could see them doing that. Uh, it'll, I, I would, 
I would be surprised if the Mac Pro isn't the last one they update. Um, like oh, of we course. may end, yeah, yeah, we may end twenty twenty two and still not have a new Mac Pro. Just promises of one, and nobody buying the old one because they're all waiting. Uh, but yeah, I mean, a, a big issue too is also you know how long if I buy an Intel Mac this year or I just bought one, how long am I good for? And if Apple's still going to, in 2022, be selling some Intel Macs, like maybe they haven't updated the iMacs yet or something like that. So there's still like a model or two out there they're selling, and then they finally convert it in 2022. And then you have Mac OSs coming out every fall. So the 2022 Macs, that, uh, uh, sorry, the 2022 Mac OS would definitely you know, support Intel because they'd have fairly new machines that just came out mm-hmm. that were Intel. Then you could think, oh, and they'll definitely do it for 2023. 2024, probably. But I wouldn't like bet too much money on it. You know, like maybe. They could go either right. way. 2025, that's the year that kind of get, gets doubtful, that they could come out and say, here's our new 2025 Mac OS, you know, Redwood or San Jose or whatever it's going to be. And <laughs> then they, Death Valley, whatever. Uh, and then they... Uh, <laughs> You know, it's all got to be California landmark. So, um, and they say, okay, that one's only going to support ARM. Will it be 2025? Maybe not. Maybe 2026. I don't know. So, at that point, you've got, you still have your Intel Macs and you still have a fairly recent version of Mac OS that you could use, you know, for as long as you feel comfortable. Like, um, you know, if you, I mean, there are people that are running several, ver- tons of people running several versions of Mac OS back because sure. they don't like change or, or they just, it's not important to them uh, to have the latest things because they don't use it much or you said it like in a server capacity or something like that. Yep. So you'd be looking at like people are still be running Intel Macs with probably an older version of Mac OS, you know, in the 2027, 2028, 2029, you know, yeah, years, um, you know, and, uh, and I think it'll be fine. There certainly were. I mean, I had a G G five and a G four laptop. I mean, I certainly went several years into the Intel era, still using those for various things. Um, before you know, having everything in my office switched over to Intel. Right. Right. So so we'll have to we'll have to see. It, it'll be a puzzle uh, to see what happens. I mean, technically, these ARM chips don't need GPUs. They have GPUs. Right. You know, not they're they're very good ones. I mean, they're, that's what they're kind of known for is having kind of, you know, not having this division of CPU, GPU, but it's all on this one chip. Right. Uh, I was thinking today is like, cause I was actually doing a video talking about this very thing. And I kept mentioning that these chips are in, you know, iPads and iPhones and Apple TVs and having people think, Oh great. So now the same thing that runs the Apple TV is going to run a Mac. That doesn't sound right, but they're actually pretty powerful chips in the, in the Apple TVs. They, I mean, the, the games that those things run right. are lots of 3d, lots of polygons, lots of physics, lots of stuff going on. And then the fact that you're, you're streaming 4k video, it's like, wait a minute, but, <laughs> it wasn't that long ago that, you know, it's like you couldn't, stream 4k video on the top end pc with the latest video card the, you know and now it's like you know an apple tv for 150 bucks will stream 4k for you. the dilemma though is you and i we understand what it takes right oh, sure um the average consumer is just saying hey this is the same processor that's in my apple tv but my apple tv is kind of like a toy i don't want a toy on my desktop right right um so yeah, I can understand. So the other thing, though, that and you haven't mentioned any of this is changes to uh, Mac OS. Well, yeah. So that's it's, a that's it's a different quite, topic. Kind sounds of. quite quite I don't know different. Well, I I have a developer license from Apple, so I downloaded the beta to look around, and it is um, design wise exactly what they. Say said in the keynote it is the biggest single version change by far if you were to go back to os 10 version 1 and then go from there to catalina that big jump of 15 versions right um it, that's a pretty big jump right but each step was tiny to go from one to the other this step from catalina to big sur it's pretty jarring i mean stuff looks a lot different i like it 
I think it looks better. I think a lot of the design decisions made are good, um, but it certainly is not a couple design tweaks. This is a, a redesign of how the windows look, of how the desktop looks. The uh, things are a lot more transparent. Uh, the fonts changed. Um, th the way controls and menus and buttons look are all different. Uh, they use a lot more sidebars instead of like little like tabs at the top of screens and stuff. There's like a control center now on the top right that you could bring down, uh, which is a lot like how the iPad does it. It's, uh, yeah, a lot of people, I mean, if you don't like change, you're not going to like this because it's change, you know? Right. It doesn't fundamentally change how things work. All the buttons do the same things, but now they, they look newer. Um, the, uh, I was looking at uh, one thing. Oh, like the, the top of Windows, typically on the Mac, going way back before OS X, um, you had the title at the very top of the window in the center. And then under that might be a row of buttons, the toolbar. The new design gets rid of that. Now you've got uh, basically on the left, you've got some viewing options like viewing buttons. And then you have a title. And then in line with all that, you have other buttons to the right of the title. So instead of everything being the title being centered, it's now to the left in line with the buttons. Uh, and it's not all, like, you could still see examples of the old stuff. If I run text edit, um, it still put the title at the top, right? right. It, they hadn't converted the, how the toolbar works. But running uh, another app, um, oh, what was I using? I was using something else. That it, you know, the, the title was to the left, and, and it still worked the same way. Right. Uh, I thought it looked more professional. I, it's going to be hard now. I'm, now I'm looking at Catalina, and it kind of it look, looks a little clunky to me because I just spent <laughs> a couple hours playing around. You know, it's like okay, but that's that's kind of how I am. You know, I see the new thing, and then suddenly the old stuff looks clunky. Other people, they it takes them a long time to get used to to design It'll changes. Be interesting because in a lot of ways. So I haven't seen it. I've only heard comments. And the descriptions I've heard make it sound like this is a change that is of an equivalent order of magnitude uh, that Microsoft went through when they took uh, Windows from 7 to 8. Uh, you know, major mm -hmm. user interface changes, major, you know, I mean, the, the apps were, I mean, the applications all still worked like the applications worked, but it, everything looked different. And of course, as we know, they took a tremendous amount of flack for it. And in fact, uh, Windows 10 is the result of reacting to a lot of the consumer uh, generated flack that they took. It will be, I expect Apple to do a better job, right? They will, they mm -hmm. generally think these things through much, much better than uh, Microsoft ever does. But nonetheless, as you say, it is change. And the, uh, uh, the biggest thing that uh, I know my audience always asks is when things change, uh, you know, those that are willing to accept it, they want to know what's in it for them. You know, what, what mm. makes it better? Why this change and why now? And it'll be interesting to see if Apple can come up with answers to that. Yeah. Uh, of course, I kind of, uh, you know, feel really a lot of stress about, I have all these courses out there um, <laughs> that, that, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to make courses to do like four to six hours worth of course video. Yep. Um, and especially tough to remake it exactly the same way you did before, but now the buttons look different. Right. You know, it's one thing when things fundamentally change. Okay, there's all, everything works in a different way now, you, you know, different commands and all that. That's one thing. But to actually be like, everything's exactly the same, but now the file button looks, you know, the file menu looks different than yep. it did before. Yep. Um, <sighs> so, it's kind of yeah. sort of what I go through on the static side when I do um, just my, my regular articles, right? When mm -hmm. you go from Windows 7 to Windows 10, all the screenshots change, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and, and to the extent that I'm doing videos these days uh, that are demonstrating things, I'm putting myself in that same position. If Windows 10 ever makes a, a major change to their look and feel, then yeah, that doesn't really invalidate. And to be honest, it doesn't really invalidate all your courses. It just... Yeah. Um, you know, it, they're, they're still there for all the people that haven't moved forward. They're still there for all the people who understand, right? Because a lot of people yeah. do, right? They, they, this, this stuff happens. Uh, so, and you've got, what, three, four years to change them all? 
Uh. <laughs> well, no, oh, no, Big Sur. I mean, Big Sur will be out in October. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, You're right. So this will this will be yeah. So oh, no, this, this is going to happen all at once for you, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah. So the the problem is, I've got like horse pages, numbers, keynotes, sure, sure, uh, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, and stuff that's going to look different. And yeah, it's what do I do? I redo them, um, or do I go and I, you know, I say, look, I think people are smart enough to know that just because the button looks different doesn't really mean the learning experience has changed. And it, and yeah, so it's I'm actually redoing. I've been redoing most of my courses. Because uh, they were getting a little old, and I'd, I'm redoing them with Catalina, and I did pages, and I did number. Right. Uh, yeah, I did I'd numbers. St- I did pages. I'd stop yeah. doing that right now. <laughs> no, no, I already I'd did wait. those. <laughs> keynotes, keynotes, the one I'm in the middle of right now. Um, and, I'd wait. You know, the thing is, it's it's tough to redo a course. Uh-huh. I mean, it really is to go go through, and uh, I think it, it almost feels like it's harder, at least energy wise, to do it a second time than the first time. The first time it's a blank slate and I could go in any direction. Oh, let me show an example of how to do this or whatever. Yep. The second time through, I feel like I need to show the same examples and the same things. Um, and, and that's hard because I don't remember what example I used to demonstrate this feature. You have to take your course. Uh, so I have to, yeah. So I actually, <laughs> well, think about that. If it's, if it's five hours of video, you know, so I have to budget five hours of watching, but it's not just five hours because there's no way, you know, if I watched a five minute lesson on how to do something and then I go and I try to basically recreate it with the new interface, um, I probably have to go back to those five minutes I watched and watch bits again. What did I say here exactly? Which did I show this menu or that menu? You know, uh, so yeah, anyway, good luck with that. So yeah, it's it's exciting time, and I don't mind it for my regular videos. Like I love going back and revisiting of topics yep. with the new stuff. I and you know it's an excuse to be to you know talk about a topic again. Right. It's the courses that are are tough to do over again. So I've got to do them anyway. Speaking of uh, well, arm what, stuff, you, yeah, you yeah one of the things stuff and. We yeah. talked very briefly, I think it was last week or the week before, about Windows potentially running on ARM, and I wasn't sure that the Surface Pro had an ARM version. As it turns out, they do. You were, um, uh, uh, you thought that perhaps the ARM version only ran 64-bit apps and didn't run mm-hmm. 32-bit apps. It's the exact opposite, which oh. means it, uh, uh, it will not run 64-bit uh, legacy window apps. Um, I... I I stumbled across this this morning as I was researching <clears throat> some of the fallout from the uh, uh, from the Mac changes, and I discovered this on onmsft.com, an editorial that basically says, uh, you know, uh, Apple seems poised to succeed where Microsoft failed with Windows 10 on ARM. To quote Surface Pro X last year, Windows 10 on ARM still has lots of issues, including the inability to run 64-bit legacy Windows apps and the incompatibility with standard Windows drivers. So this is a place where Windows has been before. I think I kind of alluded to that when we talked about it, is that they've always struggled heavily with um, non-X86 platforms. Uh, they've, they've, They've tried and they've tried and they've tried again. And um, uh, the discussion we had a couple of weeks ago was, well, maybe the ARM version of Windows will work in, um, you know, emulation or, or, or as a virtual machine on the new Macs. And uh, to the extent that this one might, eh, maybe, uh, it'll work as well, I guess. It could work as well as it does, which doesn't sound like it works very good on the native hardware. So yeah. uh, I, I suspect that uh, Microsoft unless they make some major change, which would be completely off the wall. Uh, I suspect that they're just going to continue to double down on x86 platform just because of the whole compatibility issue. There's, you know, with a billion machines out there, a billion machines running Windows 10, um, I just can't see them making any kind of, of those, those kinds of changes. And these little forays into, oh, let's make a Surface, you know, Surface Pro running on ARM and see what happens. Well, now we know what happens, and it probably wasn't worth the effort. <laughs> so, yeah. um, something else I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I think we had the discussion yes. on air, is that I uh, purchased a Sony ZV-1 uh, video. Well, actually, it's a, it's a 
mirrorless DSLR video camera, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it is targeted at the uh, vlogging world. In other words, people who basically like to film themselves talking to the camera. It's been interesting. It, I, I don't, I'm almost to the point where I'm thinking it's a bit of a disappointment actually for what I'm trying to do with it. Now, granted, I'm not trying to be a vlogger. Um, if, if I were, uh, you know, handing, if I were walking down the street or sitting out in my garden, uh, videoing myself, talking about random things or, uh, you know, shooting video of myself, trying different kinds of makeup, maybe this is the right, the right camera. But uh, as it turns out, there are a couple of really interesting, I'll just say, issues with it that are preventing me from doing with it what I had intended to do. My intention, my hope, was for it to be a better camera than my webcam. I use a Logitech Brio for my uh, for all of my videos, if you if you see me talking to a camera these days, I'm talking at a Brio, and the Brio actually turns out to still be a really good webcam. The Sony, I'm sure it's a fine camera, uh, but the problems I've run into so far are that uh, at um, 4K, running through the cam link, you indicated this was a problem for you. Mm-hmm. it's a problem for me. Um, mm-hmm. I could run it through the cam link at HD, right? At 1080p. Yeah. Yeah. If I run it through at 4K, it works, but the video looks awful. I'm not sure what the terminology is, if it's artifacting or tiling or whatever, but it just, it's not 4K video. It's just not the quality that you want out of 4K video. So I can't do the streaming that I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to stream 4K into my machine and it just ain't happening. And at this point, since that has now happened with two different devices, I'm blaming the cam link right now. Um, It's very possible that the camera itself will do it just fine, but the setup I need to be able to stream it in as a webcam uh, ain't working. Uh, so I have dropped back to the Brio for that. The other thing that I found really surprising, and maybe it is a reflection of how vloggers have their workflow, but if you record continuously, and in fact, I think last week I had the camera and I was recording myself uh, during this very podcast, and you'll notice that I never shared that video. That video never completed, and the reason it didn't complete is because when you record at 4K, the camera will eventually overheat and shut down. Yeah. They document this. They actually tell you that, yeah, you know, you can record up to like, I don't know if it's like 30 or 90 minutes worth of 4K, but the camera will shut down after about five. And there's even a setting you can change to make it shut down after about 10. So you let the camera get hotter. Uh, so you can record longer segments in 4K if you need to at the cost of the camera being hotter. But I just found that really disappointing that you can't shoot continuous 4K for length, or, you know, for lengthy periods of time. 4K looks gorgeous. I mean, it's great. Yeah. Um, and if your workflow allows for that, where you're shooting in multiple segments and can, you know, have the camera pause for a few minutes between, great, you're done. It's a great, it's a great device. Uh, I have switched all of my video recording with that camera, which now is generally of corgis, uh, to just standard <laughs> standard HD. Right, I'm doing I'm doing HD, sure. and it does fine. And and the the autofocus, which is the the big selling point for me over the Nikon that I've got sitting in front of me right now, um, is you know is way way better than Nikon ever could. Right, it's it's just a really good autofocus system. And of course, I'm still learning about the camera. It's you know as these things go, it's very complex. Um, I've discovered that the camera raw format for still images isn't yet supported by Photoshop. So I'm having to go through the, my, my personal workflow normally goes through um, Adobe's camera raw software. Um, Cause I, I always shoot in raw. I'm a big believer in raw. Um, but now I have to do it through Sony's somewhat less than ideal 
uh, interface for picking up this, the, the images from the camera. So it's a really mixed bag. It's a nice camera. It's amazingly light. It is so small and light. It's the kind of a camera that you can easily and quickly just throw in a pocket. My guess is it'll be the camera that I travel with now. Uh, and the uh, having the, they have a handle that turns into a tripod. Uh, it's a very nice little solid tripod, but it also has controls on the handle that connect to the camera via Bluetooth. That's pretty awesome. I find yeah, that. Yeah, I saw that in one of the I, other reviews. I find yeah. that significantly easier and more intuitive to hold the camera, especially since there is no viewfinder. You only have the screen to look at. So you're not holding it up to your face. You're holding it in front of you. And a handle really does make a huge difference for that. So like I said, a decidedly mixed bag. It was not everything I was hoping it would be. Um, it's a nice little camera. Uh, I'm not sending it back. Like I said, it's it's probably the camera that I'll be traveling with from now on. But um, overall, you know, it's I, if I had to do it over again, I'd probably not. Hmm, interesting. It's uh, yeah. I, I so with my Sony A6100, I've got that same overheating issue, except I've never really experienced direct it directly because number one. Like as I pointed out before, I've, I don't think I've ever, I haven't even taken the battery out of the wrapper. I stuck the, uh, the kind of battery replacement thing in there that allows me to plug it into USB and power it that way. Right. Uh, and I've rarely recorded to the SD card. I've done it a couple times to test it out. Right. So they've been short. I did experience the overheating thing, uh, especially in my office here in the summer where it gets hot. Mm -hmm. But then researching it, I found out that there was actually so many complaints about that when the camera first came out that a firmware update that I, that I had installed uh, gives you an option because it wasn't so much that it was really overheating and in danger. It was that the overheating sensitivity was too high. In other words, it could take more heat. Right. And so you had the opportunity to set it to lower sensitivity for that alarm or whatever. Right. And since I switch it to that, it's never, because I leave it on for an hour, sometimes two, while I'm doing by putting my video together. A lot of times just because I forget it's on. Like I'll do my video and you know, I'll do 20 minutes of shooting and then I'm editing it all together. It's still on. And when I'm finally done and wrapped up, I look and, oh, the camera's still on. And that's when I would normally see it, like have like the red red uh, light or something. Um, and matter of fact, I think sometimes it had actually shut off without me knowing it. It had just shut off with the uh, overheating uh, mm -hmm. thing. And, I, and it, 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 But f that fixed it. So I haven't had it overheat since, but I'm also not recording it 4K and I'm not recording to the SD card when that happens. I was going to say, you're just doing HD again, right? You're not doing 4K Yeah, I drop back. So I didn't have the artifacting. Uh, I mean, that, that, that problem obviously is uh, due to the cam link. Right, right. That's the camlink 4K yeah. is not really 4K, and right. it's and it's like God for it to be 4K to actually pump 4K worth of H264 oh, yeah. video over USB data. 3 is like yeah. you know that's so what I got was frame dropping, and ah, I tested yep. this out on many on a couple different Macs to see, uh, and it did exactly the same for all of them. So it tells me it was a pure. Uh, USB 3 limitation, right. not having to do with my graphics card or, or CPU or anything. And each frame, though, was clear as can be. Like, okay, yeah. No, I had know, the exact opposite. Everything was yeah. blocky. Yeah, so that was, and, and it and it looks bad, but especially when you have like 12 frames out of where you should have 30 frames <laughs> and, and they're not consistent. It's not like right. dropping every other frame. It would occasionally have two or three frames in a row and then there'll be other times when two or three frames would be skipped. Um, and I could see that by like, looking at each frame of the video. And right. it was very confusing and frustrating. Now, I will say that the one thing I didn't try, uh, you, you mentioned two things that you were doing differently that may affect the, um, the overheating. Actually, one thing real quick. I suspect that since I have a setting that lets me change the heat setting, yeah. You know, the sensitivity. My guess is my camera learned from your camera. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> they just baked that it. into the firmware from day one. Mm. Um, so writing to the SD is something that I have to do if I want 4K because I can't stream it, as we've discussed with the cam link. Um, however, running it off of, the, off of USB power instead of uh, the battery, you're saying that that could potentially make a difference in how much heat gets generated? I, well, I don't know. 
I'm just okay. saying I don't have I don't have that comparison. I mean, a battery there should be some heat involved with the battery, and I would think it would be cooler running it with this USB you know gizmo that goes right. in the battery you know dummy battery. That's what they call it. But I could be wrong. The dummy battery could be throwing off you know plenty of heat. Um, so you actually have a, a dummy, oh you actually have something in the battery slot. Yeah, the, your camera's got a, actual a USB port. USB yeah, port. yeah. It, Mine has the like old dummy battery it. thing, which is one of the things I think that they learned from the A6 series. Right. You know, to change for your camera was you know vloggers need to have uh, real power input. Um, Just for the heck of it, I'm going to have to try um, taking the battery out. Yeah. Because I suspect that just having a little bit of, of air space in there instead of um, sure. a battery. Like chemical, Power, it's chemical reactions. They, there's heat as an excess yep. uh, byproduct of a battery. Powering the camera from USB, changing the uh, heat setting, and just sort of seeing how long it'll record 4K. I mean, it's yeah. still recording to the SD card, um, but just seeing how long it'll do it so that I've got that as some kind of a benchmark. I have techniques for, uh, you know, building my videos out of two, uh, two, dis two unsynchronized sources because uh, I've been doing that for a long time with the Nikon. I was Again, I didn't have any way of streaming the Nikon to my Mac Pro that I was using at the time. So I would, you know, copy the video off of the SD card and then manually synchronize things in, in my video editing software. So I know how to do that. Um, but it'd be interesting. 4K is just one of those things where, gosh, it gives you so much more flexibility in terms of cropping, <laughs> right? You can actually crop and not yeah. lose all this resolution when you're actually producing your 1080p video. No, that's, uh, that's, yeah, it's true. Actually, the funny thing is, is even though I'm still doing 1080, since I started using the green screen, mm -hmm. um, I found that, uh, like, a, at one point, it it seemed to be more aesthetically pleasing if I put basically my head in the center of the frame, uh, based on like the animation behind me or whatever. And doing that meant lowering me down uh, a little bit. And there was no point changing where the camera pointed because I didn't need extra space above my head filmed. Right. right? Matter of fact, I'd rather have a little bit more of my torso just in case. Right. Than not the nothingness above me. So. But instead of doing that, I thought, well, why don't I just shrink my video a bit? Um, so most of the time now when you see me, I'm actually shrinking my video to 85 or 90%. Uh, oh, so right, which gives all, you a little bit. Yeah. Yes. So I am, I am actually, I, I don't even, I mean, this isn't a plan I came up with. This was like came up after as I'm playing around with it. Sure. And it works out really nice now because it, it squishes the pixels a little bit more since I'm an organic thing. You know, I'm it not like, matter, I, right. I don't have hard edges or whatever. It's not, you know, <laughs> so it's, it, it, I think it's better. It's, it's actually kind of increasing or, you know, making the resolution work in my favor a bit. Uh, but at 4k, of course, you're people, you're doing that all the time. If you're exporting 1080, you're always shrinking things down exactly. and cropping things out. Exactly. It, it would be nice. And one day now Elgato, I did see, you know, they make the cam link. They have a whole bunch, a whole line now of stuff that is, uh, you know, uh, better than the cam link supposedly or more expensive anyway um that you know all their stuff is marketed towards game people that record games right so there's not much information on these some of these newer slightly more expensive devices right uh how well they do camera stuff well, well but when you think about it um 1080p is nothing for gamers, right? They want yeah. way more resolution than that. Yeah, exactly. So uh so yeah, that's um so I don't know. I, I'm going to, I mean, it's the kind of thing it, uh, Well, right now, you know, if you, if you didn't want your cam link, you could probably sell it at a profit because <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're sold out everywhere. Thanks to the uh, pandemic. I was looking so from home. I, I was mentioning the Brio in an article I wrote yeah, I Brio know, yesterday, the other day. Uh, you can't find them. Nope. It's, it's incredible. And I was thinking that, okay, it's been a couple months. Maybe they've caught up, but no. No, they're all they're all gone. No, that's right. So there's a, a an Ask Leo tip of the day coming up um, in a couple of weeks, and it's basically uh, you know, the short version is invest in a webcam. Don't use whatever's built into your laptop because they suck. Yeah. Uh, and uh, then I went looking, and okay, <laughs> yeah. well, invest in a webcam when you can. <laughs> when, when, <laughs> right? when the opportunity arises. 
Yeah, I know. There are a lot more people are actually doing what we're doing and getting DSLR or mirrorless cameras and yes. trying to find something like the cam link or some other way to basically spend $500 for a $100 webcam right. um, because they can't do anything else and they need it for, you know, for work. The work. Yeah, the job. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So oh, well. yeah, anyway. Times. Oh, yeah. So um, I stumbled onto something. Do you use the uh, password checkup extension? Uh, no, but uh, similar things are are done. Well, is it coming to Safari? Well, yeah, true. Uh, one password already has it, but right. yeah, that is a new f a feature in uh, Big Sur for Safari. Uh, but they already do a thing where they uh, currently where they tell you that your password you know is being used in more than one place. What's new will be the whole like, oh, there's been your, a breach. Yes, your password is being used by somebody else. Oh, oh, really? I thought it was just reporting breaches, like when a company says. Uh, um, well, that's where it comes from, right? Yeah. It's like this, this password was used by somebody somewhere that was discovered in a breach. Oh. Um, that's what password checkup does. It says, you know, this password, if, even if it's the most complex password in the world, if it's been discovered in a breach, password checkup tells you. So that you okay. know not to use that password. I see. Anymore. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, um, it's, not like, it's not like somebody happened to come up with the same password you did. It's actually there's a breach. Here's the list of passwords. Right, your password's on it. Exactly. Exactly. Because yeah. in theory, if you and I happen to use the same really secure password, as long as nobody else knows what those passwords are, the fact that you and I don't even know that we're both using the same exactly. password is what yeah. keeps it secure. Yeah. What keeps what makes it unsecure or insecure, depending on, is uh, when that password is discovered in some form in a breach. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, so password checkup, it's an extension for Google Chrome. Uh, I run it. It, it actually runs in uh, Microsoft Edge as well. I, think it, I suspect it'll work in most of the Chromium-based browsers that will take any Chrome store extension. Uh, but, and it is kind of weird when you log into a site and it says, oh, you know that password you just used? You might want to change it. Mm -hmm. um, however, uh, apparently it's going to get baked into Chrome so that you don't have to have the extension, which I think is kind of a, a very interesting and valid way to do it. My suspicion is it'll be something that people can turn off because nobody's ever happy. But um, the, the, the statistics in this Verge article, again, that'll be linked with the show notes, uh, that just shocked me. Well, one didn't shock me, although it sounds like it should be shocking. 52% of people reuse the same password for multiple accounts. Okay, fine. I will admit I do that, right? And it's a legacy of these old accounts where I used where my password hygiene was worse than it was. And they're not important accounts. Anything that's super important, anything that's even marginally important, and anything for which I've changed the password in the last five years has gotten a new, unique, long, strong password. But it happens, right? It just does. Um, sometimes, you know, so the fact that 52% have re reused the same password from multiple accounts, eh, I get it. Um, I'm surprised it's not higher. However, 13% um, of people reuse that password for all of their accounts. Uh, that's the one that scares the heck out of me. Uh, the same password for literally everything is super bad. We know that. <laughs> that 13% of people are doing that is oh. frightening. So um, if you're not running the password checkup utility or extension uh, in your browser, or you don't have uh, you know, some other utility or extension that provides that functionality, I recommend it. It's kind of enlightening. And it can be you know, through no fault of your own, uh, somebody else could just stumble into using the same password you are. And if that becomes discovered in a breach, then um, uh, you know your your security is at risk, and knowing about it is a good thing. The interesting thing about the Verge article, by the way, is how Google, by baking this into Chrome and, for that matter, the extension, um, is maintaining everybody's privacy. Uh, it's a very interesting problem to try and solve when you know you're checking your password. Your password is being compared to other passwords. Well, no, not really, but how they do that is kind of fascinating, and they go walk through the 
the steps uh, that basically maintain everybody's privacy in the process. Cool. You've been playing a game. Oh, yeah. So I thought, you know, I usually mention what I'm doing and uh, what TV shows I'm watching and stuff, but I haven't been watching a TV show over the last week because I've been playing a game, a game I kind of thought was new. <laughs> I, I, I went and I played last year Red Dead Redemption 2, and I wanted to play a game that was like that. And so I saw somebody mention, compare that with Witcher 3 on Xbox. So I thought, oh, cool, I'll, I'll play that. I saw the series, the TV series, which season one of the TV series, so Witcher right. 3, I assume, is more or less equivalent to maybe season three. I don't know. Oh, I know there were books. There's books first, and then there was uh, video games, and now there's the TV now show. And each everything. one's slightly the TV, different. The TV show is awesome. Loved it yeah. a lot. Hope he does it again. You know, that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> so I started playing Witcher 3, and it was neat because I did actually understand some of the characters and the background from watching the TV show, even though there's a gap, obviously, between sure. the events of the TV show and whatever maybe is Witcher 2. I don't know. And then Witcher 3. And I started playing the game and comparing it to Red Dead Redemption 2. At first, I was like, this seems a lot like it. I even assumed it was the same game engine when I started. And it was only uh, after I looked it up to find out that I found that it is a completely different game engine, but obviously very similar. And then I started to get a tiny bit disappointed because I thought, you know, Red Dead Redemption 2 is a little bit nicer. Until I noticed that Witcher 3 isn't new, it's from 2015. <laughs> so now I'm super impressed that it's almost as good as a 2019 game. Um, it actually took me a, a session or two to get into it, and now I, you know, I'm totally addicted to it, and I'm not watching hardly any TV now because I'm playing through Witcher 3. It's a good uh, role-playing game with lots of cool graphics and an open world and... Um, I'm the type of player that when you play a fantasy game, it's like, oh, I have to upgrade my sword. Oh, I have to collect certain rune stones for this <laughs> or that. You know, it's like, I don't want to do any of that. I just want to go through the story. But I actually, for the first time, are get, am getting into that. I'm like looking at my inventory and my collection, and I need to get this, and I need to upgrade this ability. Are you, is, that a, is that a multiplayer game? No. Okay. Yeah, Single so, player game. I mean, everything you've described just says, oh, yeah, this is this is the kind of stuff I deal with in Warcraft all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, what's my item level? What's my character level? What's the, oh, man, look at that, a better sword. I should get that. So, yeah, so I'm, <laughs> I'm looking for it, but now it's made me kind of a fan. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't really read fantasy novels right. like that, right. so I doubt, doubt I'll go to read the books, but I am certainly am now, you know, twice as much looking forward to season two yes. of Witcher and yep. uh, and I don't think I'll go back and play the earlier Witcher games because if this is a 2015 game, I think that Witcher Two was like 2011. Right. And I, I don't know You'll if be like, it'll hold up. Yeah. But uh, hopefully, maybe there's uh, there'll be another one, a Witcher Four or something. I'm sure. If, obviously, the franchise is doing well. I was going to say that yeah, the the marketing folks are going to make sure that happens if nobody else does. Right. I do. I do love the language. I noticed in the TV show, they the language was sometimes very modern. Unlike, say, in uh, Game of Thrones or right. Lord of the Rings, where they kind of st stick to a, a certain level of vocabulary, saying, oh, this is all like this level of vocabulary. Like, they'll, in the game, you know, they're talking about it, you know, uh, one of the witches is talking about somebody getting disease and saying, do I look like an epidemiologist? And, you know, and it's very, <laughs> it's very natural in there that they have the full, right. e either the full level of vocabulary or you're assuming this is all translated to English anyway, right? They're not really speaking English in this, in this universe. So why not use actual modern words instead of, you know, making it see, seem in style? So, uh, so I like, I like that. It, it, it fits with the TV show. As a complete um, aside, it's it's not a game, but it is something that I am desperately looking forward to. Did you ever play Microsoft Flight Simulator? I played Microsoft Flight Simulator. I think it must have been version one. Yeah, I was, that's how far far yeah. back. And it was pretty darn awesome. There is a new version coming out. Apparently, it's later this year, and there are you know folks who have beta tests of it and so forth. There are people who are posting videos of. Um, uh, the you know the air landing airplanes that uh, I swear I, I was watching one and I did not realize that it was a screen cap from that game until uh, I realized that oh yeah I didn't think Alaska Airlines flew any 747s uh, there's a 737 only airline and <laughs> and the, the the everything was so photorealistic it was just amazing. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that one coming out. Um, I'm I'm assuming that my hardware is good enough, 
And uh, if it's not, because I've got a relatively new machine, but if it's not, um, I will probably take steps to make sure that it is, because I remember uh, the original game way back when being very, mm. I call it a game. It's not really a game. It's just, yes, you know, simulator. go, yeah, go out and go fly planes. Uh, back in the day, we were uh, uh, taking landing and taking off at uh, an airport outside of Chicago that just doesn't exist anymore. Uh, you know, we probably, heck, you probably uh, flew in and out of Stapleton. Well, that doesn't exist anymore, right? <laughs> so, mm. anyway. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So, I'm assuming you would like people to take a look at your Big Sur video. Yeah, so I've got a, a link to that. Um, it's actually my summary of, you know, all the announcements. So, you know, what I thought was important for, you know, new stuff for iPad and iPhone, uh, as well as uh, Mac and other little things they threw in there. Um, and uh, yeah, so I've got a summary video of that. So we'll link to that. Cool. That one looks interesting. And, and I'm, I mean, I, it's, it seems like we covered a lot, but I'll have to watch that one and just sort of see what other little Yeah, I've got another video. I, I did another video today that is like some, you know, it's the whole like details about the ARM transition specifically for that. But then oh, cool. I don't talk about Big Sur or new iPhone stuff or anything like that in that video. So I thought it'd be better to point to the, the general overview sure. video. Cool. Yep. Nope. General overview is good. Um, so, you know, when you're tired of your old computer and you decide to get that new Mac, um, my article is what to do with that old computer you've been given in this particular case and what I did with mine. I've mentioned a couple of times now that I've replaced uh, a couple of machines, uh, one for my wife, one for a friend. And uh, what I didn't mention in those original articles and original discussion was what I did with the old machines. And I think that that's an interesting exercise for people to go through, whether they um, you know, get a hand-me-down machine, get a second-hand machine, um, you know, or just you know, swap out a machine with a new machine. What do you do with the old one? Um, there's lots of different things to consider, lots of different options depending on just how functional that machine is or is not. Askleo.com slash one, two, three, three, four, eight is that article. What to do with an old computer you've been given? Cool. I think, oh man, we're six minutes over. Oh, well. Ah. <laughs> that should cut, cut something. Yeah, yeah well. Uh, let's see. So the show notes for this week will be at tehpodcast.com slash teh104. I say will be, but because, of course, by the time you hear this, they are at teh104. <laughs> if you've got a comment or a question, hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at the teh podcast or leave a comment in that show notes page. As always, thanks again for listening, and we will see you here again next week. Bye. Bye-bye.